Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mailbag. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Friday, February 25th, 2022 is mailbag. We're going to do a mailbag episode. Mailbag is when you get into my Apple podcast page that Coca put together. Nothing personal with David Sampson. And rate it, review it, and then within the review, ask a question. Or get into Twitter at David P. Sampson. And feel free to ask a question. Sometimes that goes into So You Want to Talk to Samson. Sometimes it's a mailbag. Sometimes I just respond right back to you on Twitter. By the way, Coca, I do plenty of Twitter engagement out there. DMs are open. I can't get to everybody, but I get to more than most, less than some, and way more than many. But I wanted to start today talking about something slightly off-topic before I get to the first question. And there's some good topics today, some good questions. People send good questions, Coca, so thank you. And just to thank you again, as we are just about done with two months already out of 2022, what you've done to grow nothing personal, we are very appreciative that you give us 45 minutes a day in return. We try not to miss any days, even when I'm away. So today is February 25th, tomorrow is my birthday. And I turn 54. I was born in 1968, but today is my sister's birthday. And we were born a day apart. She's, she was three years older than I. And I'm using was because this is my sister, Nancy, who passed away just a few months ago. And you indulged me when I did a show right after she passed. She died of cancer, a non-smoker. We talked a little bit about cancer. We've talked on the show a bunch about loss, a bunch about death. And I've been struggling a little bit, and I wanted to share it with you before we get into a mailbag. And here's where my struggle is. I'm counting numbers. Part of the thing that I do, I slight detour. Uh, do you remember in 2006, Coke, I don't know if I've told the story about the Iron Man when I was followed by cameras the entire time. And there's an NBC show that was narrated by Al Troutwig. And I was doing the Hawaii Ironman, which is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and then you run a marathon. And while the cameras were following me, I was doing math in my head the entire time about how fast I needed to go in order to finish because there are cutoff times. If you don't finish the bike in a certain time, you can't even start the run. And then if you start the run, you have to finish everything within 17 hours because if you don't, then you're not an Ironman. But if you do, doesn't matter how, 16, 59, 59, you're an Ironman, you get the tattoo, you're an Ironman for life. 
I finished that race in 15 hours and 36 minutes. And during the course of the show when cameras were there, which was the entire time, I was always calculating because, A, it took my mind off the fact that I was in so much pain. It took my mind off the fact that I had so many miles in front of me. And I was calculating what my rate of speed was and when I had to be at certain points along the course. And I was just constantly doing sort of a Rain Man-like math. So I'm finding now that I still do that. I've been doing that ever since I was young. I never was in a mathathon, never joined the math club because for whatever reason, when I was in elementary school and grade school and high school, I thought that it was uh, not cool to be in the math club. And I wasn't really good enough to be a varsity athlete other than track. And that's only because I did hurdles because no one else wanted to do hurdles. Ever seen a five foot five guy do hurdles? Yeah, you're just trying to protect the possibility of some future action. And that's what gets you over the hurdle. But I would always wanted to be on a team and I always wanted to be a part of a team. But I always thought that, you know, if you're on the math club, that it just wasn't cool. And of course, you look back at high school when you have some green between high school and where you are currently, and you realize that that's all insane, right? The high school plight, the feeling of not fitting in, the feeling of needing to be popular, the feeling of wanting to be cool and wanting to have girls like you or whatever you like, whoever you like who wants to like you, and just it informs your decisions, and it's so crazy. And you look back at the people in high school who were superstars, and they peaked in high school. But you don't know that then. So while I wasn't in the math club, I was always good at math and I've been doing math my whole life. I love, and the reason I love math is that numbers don't lie. They're not up for misinterpretation. If a teacher doesn't like you, he or she cannot give you a bad score on a math test. You either get the answer right, you get the answer wrong. And I've lived my life in a very binary way, which was super helpful professionally and super hurtful personally because obviously not everything is black and white. There are amazing things that are gray, and then within that gray, there's about 20 shades of gray. But for me, everything with math made it easy because you get to an answer, you check it, you know it's right. So I'm doing math constantly now, and the math I'm doing is related to things that I see on Twitter. 37 years ago, The Breakfast Club made its debut. Every day there's a new movie that debuted 25 years ago, 35 years ago. And I was thinking to myself, I cannot believe the way time is passing. And then I do the math, which is, all right, that was 37 years ago. So I was obviously (laughs) 27 years old when that happened, right? 54 minus 37 is 17, not 27. Thank you. (laughs) What time is it, Coca? So 1985 is when Breakfast Club comes out. And I'm thinking how much time it was from 1985 till now, which seems like it went by in a second. So 37 years from now will be 2059. 2059, I'll be 91 years old. So the time from then to now is equal to the time from now to forward 91. And of course, when I was younger, 45 seemed old. Now that I'm 54 tomorrow, it seems that 91 is old. And when I'm 91, it won't seem old at all. But then I think about people who won't ever be 91. And that's when I started thinking more about my sister. She was 56 when she died. 
I'm now going to be 54. She got sick around 54, 53 and a half, pretty much where I am now. And the way it happened is she wasn't feeling well, thought it may have been pneumonia, went into the doctor, and it wasn't pneumonia. It was lung cancer. And when you get lung cancer, uh, the odds are very strong, like 95%, that you're not going to survive for five years. My sister fought for two and a half years and passed away. And this is the first birthday that she hasn't been around. And I started feeling sorry for myself, which is something I don't do often. As, as big a hypochondriac as I am, as much as I know how privileged I am, I have usually found ways to bring myself down by saying, oh, woe is me about X or Y or Z. And not that I'm a pessimist by nature at all, but you just start thinking about things throughout the course of your life. And of course, I've had way less adversity than 99.99% of the people. But adversity, as you know, is all perspective. If you've never had adversity, the first bit of adversity you have seems as though it's the end of the world as you know it. If you've had nothing but adversity, you look at other people's adversity and you say, that's not actual adversity. You should see this, or you should live through that, or you should experience this. It's unbelievable if you think about as you go through life, what happens when you are faced with adversity, how you handle it. That's what you hear from motivational speakers. How you handle adversity will help inform your level of success. Well, my entire life, I had my sister around, and not that, not that it was something that most people don't have, but parents were divorced, and she was my sister, and the two of us sort of navigated those waters together, starting when I was four and she was seven, and I always had her as my shield because I was always sort of the gregarious, crazy one. She was much more responsible. She had to be, she was the oldest. She would always sort of rein me in when I was losing my mind. And she would give me perspective that you can only get with age because to me, three years older might as well have been almost like a parent. And birthdays were always very, very important only in that they were a day apart and we always thought that was really cool. I'm not a huge birthday guy because I don't like the passage of time. It sort of bites into my whole Peter Pan desires and the clock just moves merrily on and I picture the clock winding down. I do the math of where I am in my life. Am I in the fourth inning, fifth inning? If I'm on 18 hole golf course, is this now the 11th hole? By the time you're on the 11th hole, you're sort of looking to the 18th hole, but all of a sudden something can happen and all of a sudden you're on the 18th hole. What happened to holes 12 through 16, 12 through 17? Anything can happen at any day, which is why you have to seize the day, why you have to not put off till tomorrow what you can get done today. And all of these things are always rolling through my head. So as her birthday is upon me, I think about the fact and the, the, the three kids who don't have a mother now and her widower, who is my brother-in-law, and my mother who lost a child. And you think about, do you celebrate what call do you make to somebody? Do you call the family and say, I'm thinking about you on the deceased's birthday? Do you call on the day they died? All these little things that no one teaches you what to do. And what most people do is when they don't know what to do is they end up doing nothing. It's like when people are grieving or when people have an issue, all of a sudden everyone just goes, they disappear. They're there for the first minute. They'll send you a quick text. They'll go on Facebook with a broken heart. My condolences. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that that's not nice. And then that's it. Everyone moves on to the next thing, the next moment in their life, the next issue. And what they don't realize is what's happening to other people stays with those other people long after you stop checking in, long after you stop thinking about it, whether it's the loss of a parent or the loss of a sibling or whether it's their own sickness, whatever the case may be, whatever their adversity is, is theirs, not yours. And whatever empathy you show toward them is fantastic for the moment, but then people move on. And so the tricky part where no one teaches you, no one talks to you is, what do you do? What's right and what's wrong? And so I wanted to start by saying, here's what's right. What's right is for you to decide to yourself, how do you want to be looked at by the person you are reaching out to? Are you willing to risk being looked at as superfluous, annoying, bad timing? Are you willing to risk that for someone to say, wow, that meant a lot. That touched me at that moment. I was down at that moment. I saw your name on my phone as a text and it made me smile. Hearing your voice took me away from the grief I was feeling, the adversity I was facing. It's a risk reward analysis. And you're going through that every time you decide what you're going to do when you're uncomfortable. And the reason why most people, when they're faced with discomfort, end up doing nothing is because that is the quickest way to get back into comfort. Because if you need to do something and you don't do it, you feel uncomfortable for a second, then it goes away and you don't have to deal with the after effect. If you do something that ends up being wrong, you not only had to deal with it in that moment, you then have to deal with the ramifications after the fact. But on the other hand, if you do something that is uncomfortable and it ends up being right, you get to revel in the fact that you made a difference, whether it was to an individual in your family, a friend, what about in your business? How many of you, when you're deciding whether or not to make the extra phone call or work the extra hour or do the extra project, are you thinking about your convenience? Are you thinking about whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze? And does that enter into your own head and your own calculation? No, I work too hard. I don't want that project. Look at that guy. He's on the internet the whole day. Let him do it. We're all making these types of decisions every single day, multiple times a day. So I've always chosen discomfort. I revel in the discomfort. I love having a stomach ache. I love taking Gaviscon every night, which I do, notwithstanding the fact that I eat garlic and onions and I shouldn't do that can't even taste them anymore, but I still do it. But the fact of the matter is that if you end up choosing discomfort more than not, you will end up achieving in ways that you never dreamt of. You will end up touching people and making a difference in other people's lives in ways that you can't even imagine you're able to do. And the funniest part about it is you may not even know you're doing it when you're doing it because the person to whom you are reaching out may not even acknowledge what it meant to that person. So while we all don't know what to do when there's an anniversary or a birthday or a date, I choose to make the call. So the call I'm going to make today is to my brother-in-law and to my two nieces and a nephew. I'm going to tell them I'm thinking about their mother, I'm thinking about my sister, and what we would be doing on her 57th birthday and my 54th birthday would we have had a 111th birthday together? I don't know that we would have shared a party, but we would have shared a moment. 
And the saddest thing about people who die way too young is the number of moments that just go poof. I love you, Nancy. Happy birthday. Okay, question number one on the mailbag. I have a question for you that I wonder if you could answer on your podcast. Well, wonder no more. Here we are. With the recent international signings in Major League Baseball, could you give a little insight on the behind the scenes with international signings? I've heard some real shady stuff happens. Are some teams more ethical than others? Do some teams bend the rules more than others? Thank you for entertaining me daily and letting us know what happens in the front offices. Well, thank you for letting us entertain you. International signings, that's a topic that baseball's talking about right now, trying to figure out if there should be an international draft. For years, we talked about that in all the committees. I was on the international committee in Major League Baseball. That committee really was based on revenue and trying to get revenue from playing games internationally and from selling the broadcast rights internationally. So when you are overseas and you get to see a baseball game or you get to watch the World Series and the commentators are speaking French or Spanish or Japanese, those countries, those broadcast partners are paying over and above the deals that you read about when you read about what ESPN has signed, etc. Or TNT or MLB Network, whatever deals. It's extra money. So MLB International has a separate P&L statement, profit and loss. And our committee was tasked with maximizing international revenue. We didn't touch often on international signings because we left that to the player rules committee. Often the strategic planning committee would talk about these issues. When you are in the United States, you're subject to something called the rule four draft. That's a rule which says that after junior year in college or after senior year in high school, you are eligible to be drafted by a major league team. Once you're drafted by a major league team, you are the property of the major league team. And some of the things you're reading about in the lockout have to do with how long you are the property of that team. When do you become a minor league free agent? When do you become a major league free agent? Then if you are not eligible for the rule four draft, you are eligible to be drafted or to be signed as an international sign. Back when I first got into baseball, there were no limits what you could pay someone to sign with you. There was a signing period that would start July 1st of every year and end on June 30th of the following year. And when you are making your budget, you would meet with your CFO, you'd meet with your owner, you'd meet with your GM, and you would have a separate budget for international signs. And if you didn't have a lot of money and you wanted to focus on your major league team the way we always did, our international signing bonus money was always smaller than other teams. The dream is to have unlimited resources to sign international players because the more players you sign, the better chance you have of getting a major leaguer. I always was upset and concerned when we would sign international players to $300,000 deals and, I, and they're 16 years old because you're eligible at 16. And I would say to my guys, why not sign 10 guys at 35,000? How's my math? Pretty good, right? Why not sign 10 guys at 35,000 versus one guy at 350? And they would say that's because the guy we're getting at 350 has a way better chance of being a major leaguer than the 10 guys you would get at 35. And I would say the chances of the guy at 350 being a major leaguer are not that much greater statistically to merit putting all your eggs in one basket which is why teams had bigger budgets because then they would say, we've got multiple baskets. 
And you'd have international scouts. You'd have cross-checkers who would fly to the Dominican, fly to Venezuela. They would see these kids play, and they would dream about signing these players because once in a while there's a Vladimir Guerrero or a Miguel Cabrera. There are players who you know are going to be big leaguers, and they command huge signing bonuses. But for every Guerrero and Cabrera, there are a ton of players who got a ton of money who simply didn't make it. So the owners said, we're done. In the next collective bargaining agreement, we want to cap international signings because low revenue teams were saying, this is ridiculous. The Dodgers can sign a guy for $50 million. He can stink. They can put him in the minor leagues. They can write off the $50 million like it didn't even happen. And they just move on with their day. If we sign a guy for $2 million and he doesn't make it, our owner's firing people as well he should. So Major League Baseball said there is such a competitive imbalance, there is such a disadvantage to low-revenue teams that we are going to institute a cap on international signings. And they set the cap, let's say, at $5.4 million. So then the big market teams said, we want more money than that. So they would call the small market teams like the Marlins and say, hey, do you want to trade us some of your international money? Because if you trade for someone else's international money, then you've got more money. So in theory, if the Dodgers would trade for two teams' money, then all of a sudden they could get an extra $10.8 million and they'd have $16.2 million. Baseball didn't stop that from happening. Many teams would not trade away their international slot money because a reasonable budget is $5 million to sign international players. So how do you differentiate yourself? Again, when there was no cap, guess what happened? The big league teams, the big revenue teams would go down to the Dominican. They would buy five-star buildings or build five-star buildings with amazing bathrooms, amazing kitchens, amazing classrooms, amazing fields. They'd spend several million dollars. They'd bring in these kids, and they would say, look, if you sign with us, you will have this unbelievable facility, which will help you become a major leaguer. And they were absolutely full of it because they really don't care. And you're just hearing a lot about the Marlins, about all these teams who are speaking, teaching these kids English today and teaching them life skills, how to be a electrician or a plumber because they don't have educations. They join these academies at 16 years old and the overwhelming majority don't make it. So teams try to differentiate themselves by having these great, great facilities. And that was yet another way that there would be a schism between low revenue and high revenue teams. But once they leveled the playing field, how does a player decide where he's going to go? If the money's the same with five teams, how do you choose? Do you choose the best facility? Do you choose the team with the best opportunity? No chance, toilet pants. You know what you do. You choose the team that gives you money under the table. <gasps> Does that happen? Are you telling me that there are teams that go internationally, like to the Dominican Republic, and they offer extra money that they're not allowed to offer to players? How do you do that? How do you not get caught? Well, here's how you don't get caught. There's something called the Busconi. A Busconi's like an agent, just think Scott Boris, but better. They go down, they've got a group of players, they come to work out for your team, they come with five players. Four of them suck, one of them's good, and they say, sign all five of the players. And we say, but four of them can't play on our single A team. Forget Dominican team, they're never gonna make it, they wouldn't play high school ball. And the Busconi says, no problem. I know that, 
You know that. But if you want the fifth player, you're going to have to take these other four. Why would we do that? I'll tell you why. Because the most money you can give to this player is 250 grand. But guess what? Give an extra 100 grand to the other four guys. And then the four guys who get the 100 grand who definitely aren't worth 100 grand, are going to give their 100 grand to the fifth guy. Does that really happen? Yeah. Are there teams who go down to the Dominican Republic and do even worse, where there's bribery? Yes. Teams have been caught. They have been punished. It is a well-known fact within baseball, and baseball doesn't talk about it, but it's a well-known fact that the overwhelming majority of teams, not more than 30 out of 30, are participating in some level of shenanigans in the Dominican and in other places internationally. How do you stop that? With what Major League Baseball is trying to do now, which is institute an international draft. An international draft would act the same as a Rule 4 draft, which is for the U.S. players. There would be a bunch of players who'd be certified, and there'd be a draft. Oh, I got that player in the first round, first pick. I got that player in the second round, third pick. And I'm going to sign those players because they're going to be slotted, and that's the end of it. Guess who doesn't want an international draft? The agents and the Busconis. And the reason they don't want an international draft is that basically takes away any advantage that the people who are not doing the right thing, if not in fact doing the illegal thing, it stops them from being able to do it. So I've always been in favor of an international draft. And the reason is that when we tried our shenanigans in the Dominican, we were never good enough at it because I was never willing to cross the line because it wasn't worth it. Is it really worth it to get caught breaking the law I've never thought it would be. First of all, there's one thing that I've told you throughout Nothing Personal, throughout the 600 plus episodes, all in with sit downs and mailbags. My favorite part of life is that right now I can stand up, turn off the microphone, walk outside this door, and never come back. Or I can stay here and talk all day. I have freedom. I'm not going to do something that could take away my freedom. I do not do anything that could ever result in the loss of my freedom. It's why I care so much about not breaking the law because I don't even want there to be a possibility of losing freedom. It's just not worth it. You know how people ask you, if your child got murdered, would you murder the person who murdered your child? And all these parents always say, you have no idea what I would do. If my daughter got violated, I would kill that person. And I was the one person who said, I love my children. I love my family. But what exactly good would that do? Well, revenge is so good. Well, yeah, but then you're caught and then you lose your freedom. And by the way, the person who got violated isn't made to feel whole. The person who may have gotten killed isn't all of a sudden brought back. That is the genesis of the juice squeeze argument. So you ask me, are some teams more ethical than others? A hundred percent. Are all 30 teams 100% ethical? 100% not. Are there things that go on that make players sign with certain teams versus others who then claim that there was nothing wrong, but of course there were things going on under the table? You bet your sweet petunias there are. 
Will there be an international draft in the next collective bargaining agreement? I say there won't be, Coca, because there's so many other things they have to deal with that I just don't think they're going to get to it, and they're going to say we'll deal with it during the course of the agreement or for the next agreement. There's only so much they can deal with. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. David, long-time listener, hopefully first time on air. Welcome. Question. I have a moral ethical dilemma. I like it. In the loosest sense of the word, but I would like your perspective. Roberto Alomar was my favorite player growing up as a child. Throughout my years, I've collected some memorabilia, but was despondent to learn of his alleged past. That being said, hypothetically, would you display the items as a part of your collection or would you relegate them to a closet for eternity? Especially in light of your relationship with Marcelo Zuna and probably other countless greats in the game on the field, but say D-bags off of it, would you please opine on my quandary? Many thanks, Alan. Alan, I appreciate that you asked that question. I think about this a lot, actually. And I think about whether it is a dilemma or isn't. Do you go back and look at movies? Let's just talk, let's, let's start with the number one, right? Let's start with Michael Jackson. Do you listen to Michael Jackson songs? Do you watch Mel Gibson movies knowing that he's an anti-Semite? Do you watch Kevin Spacey movies knowing what he did in terms of molestation and other such sexual misconduct? Do you cheer for football players who may have been involved in the murder of people or in domestic abuse? Everybody has a different answer to that question, and I'm going to give you mine. My answer is that I have a line. How do I decide where to put the line? Well, I put the line in pencil. And I always tell you the truth here on Nothing Personal, even when it's not putting me in the best possible light but I do have a line that's in pencil and here's why Marcelo Zuna I'm going to start with him I've known Marcelo Zuna since his first moment in baseball Marcelo Zuna was Jose Fernandez's best friend Marcelo Zuna was an important part of our team for many many years Marcelo Zuna was traded after I left the Marlins went to St. Louis then went to Atlanta and got suspended for 20 games but got time served for a domestic abuse on video choking out his wife. And when it happened, I was angry. I was angry because 
I grew up where divorce was something that happened, something I lived with. And there is something very interesting to me about the culture in the Dominican. They don't get divorced. They definitely have unhappy marriages, not all, I'm talking some, but they just don't get divorced. I would talk to Ozuna because it was always my impression. He signed with us, I don't know, back in 08, Coca? When did he sign? 08. Oh, he signed on February 15th, 2008. So that's 14, God damn. Talk about time. That's 14 years ago, Coca. It's unbelievable. In any case, so I would talk about Ozuna because when you're with players, you see the way they are off the field and you see the way they are on the field. And there's something about watching hot dogs get made that it stops you from eating hot dogs. There's something about being inside a sport like baseball that stops you from being a baseball fan. And it's not because it's just a business. You also realize that the players you idolized when you were a fan, when you were a child, when you meet them and get to know them, you have the epiphany that everyone has about their own parents. That as you get older, they go from perfect to wow, human. Of course, there is no excuse for certain behavior, no matter what. So I would talk and spend time with Ozuna, and we would talk about personal issues, talk about levels of unhappiness. And I never, never thought that he would, no matter how much he would lose his temper, that he would raise a hand to his wife. No matter how upset he was with her, his kids are the light of his life. He understood his culture. He understood his position his lot in life, but never did I think he would raise a hand. I still have signed posters of Marcelo Zuna that I keep up. And the reason I keep up memorabilia and I keep listening to Michael Jackson music and I keep watching Mel Gibson movies as much as I don't want to on the Mel Gibson side is that every time I look and every time I listen, I'm reminded I'm reminded of the good, I'm reminded of the bad, I'm reminded of the path less traveled, which is the hardest path, which is not the path of righteousness, it's the path of good decision making and lack of emotionality. Just because someone has done something, does that mean that everything they've done up to that moment gets canceled? Is the Cosby show no longer a good show because Bill Cosby's a monster? Is Bill Cosby himself one of the great comedy routines of all time? Is it no longer watchable? Do we not give him the time of day because at this time he was drugging and raping women? The answer should be yes. But you asked me a question and my answer is no. My answer is maybe it comes from being Jewish where I'm taught those who forget the past are condemned to relive it. That's in terms of the Holocaust, which by the way, on a side note, absolutely keeps me up at night that Holocaust survivors, there are only a very few left still alive. Steven Spielberg did a huge, huge project where he got a bunch of Holocaust survivors, hundreds of them on video to tell their story because soon, very soon, they will all be gone and there's enough people who don't believe in the Holocaust. There's enough people who don't understand genocide, even in modern terms, of what it means. And if you don't remember what happened, then you are condemned to have it happen again. So when I go back and I look 
at items or I look at movies or listen to songs, I think about what those people did wrong and I'm reminded to take a better path. I'm reminded to make better decisions. I've never done any of those things. I never would do any of those things and I never would say never, but I never would. But to ignore it is to pretend that it didn't exist or they didn't exist. And if you do that, you're condemned to make those same mistakes. Which is why I told you that my opinion of Bonds and Clemens is that they shouldn't get plaques in the Hall of Fame, but there should be mention of them in other parts of the exhibits where they have performed on the field and what they did in terms of steroids. Because it is critical for people in the next 10, 20, 50, 100 years to look back at the 2000s, at the 1900s, and understand what went on and how that informed what went on after that. So I guess my answer is this. If you love Roberto Alomar, and he is a player who you remember fondly because of what he did on the field, keep his memorabilia up, but make sure when you look at it and when you show people the memorabilia, you tell his story, the entire story, not just the story of his glove and his bat, not just the story of him spitting on John Hirschbeck, not just the story of what else he's done since in terms of sexual misconduct, but all of it. And if you do that, then you have a chance to make a difference going forward and for people to make different decisions. That's why I do it with memorabilia, with music, and with movies. I appreciate the question. All right, when we were putting this show together, way back, you've heard the story on previous mailbags, I'm positive you have. We talked about how Nothing Personal was born. I told you the story of how Coca made up the name and how that will be the name of this show until you all stop listening to it, because we'll keep going. Believe me, we will keep going. And I had a hashtag on Twitter that was wait to see. Wait to see to me is the greatest hashtag on Twitter. I don't know that it ever trends, and it may just be me who says it, but it's mine, and I'm proud of it. Because what wait to see means is it provides people with the opportunity to be accountable. And if there's one thing that makes me nuts, it's people who aren't accountable. And what makes me more nuts than that, it's people with microphones who aren't accountable. And believe me, I can't fit on my fingers and toes, and I've got the full complement of them, people in the media, people with podcasts, people with TV shows who don't know anything about accountability. A, they've never done anything, so when they talk about things, they don't know what the hell they're talking about because they've never lived it, they've never done it. But B, when they're wrong about the crazy hot takes they have, they don't revisit it. So we decided on nothing personal that we're going to do a wait to see every show, and then we're gonna revisit every one of them. So I wanted to go through a bunch of them right now. There are a bunch of you on Twitter who have asked me to review them one or two at a time or do 20 at a time. And we do it as it comes, depending on what fits in the show as we're going through the rundown. But I wanted to get a bunch of them done for you today. How about over a year ago on January 29th, 2021, before Brian Flores had even filed his lawsuit, there was a big discussion about Eric Bieniemy, that great assistant coach in the NFL who did not get hired to be a head coach, and everyone's saying, oh, he's going to get a job next year. I said, no, it's not going to happen because there is such an unbelievable level of prejudiceness in the NFL, and that is in inherent in the business 
that Eric Bieniemy will not be a head coach in 22. Guess what? Yes. On February 22nd of 2021, just over a year ago, there were rumors about Jeff Bezos becoming an NFL owner. At that time, he had not done the Thursday night package. Amazon now owns Thursday night package. Will Troy Aikman be there? Wait to see. I'm not making that a wait to see. I said Jeff Bezos will be an NFL owner before the 2022 season. I was wrong. I still believe Jeff Bezos will buy a team. I'm slightly more concerned about it now because Amazon is making such a play to be a rights holder and they're doing content. They want to be a platform, have networks and all the other thing that Amazon is doing. So what's interesting to note is whether or not he will. Coca, I know he's not the CEO of Amazon. What does that have to do with it? Are you saying that because he's not the CEO that now he can just buy a team and it has nothing to do with the fact that Amazon has rights holders? Or are you saying the fact that he is the C- not the CEO and he did it so he could buy a football team? But it does have to do with Amazon. I'm not going to stop saying it. Jeff Bezos will be an NFL owner before 2022. Nope, I got it wrong. On March 17, 2021, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't know what they did that day. They must have hired Urban Oscar Meyer. But their over-under win total was six and a half, and I said they're going under. Urban Meyer will not be successful. Well, Urban Meyer did not survive, as you know, and the Jaguars did not win seven games. All the way on March 17th on 2021, I told you that's a yes. What about March 25th, 2021? Go back to that show. It was all about the WFT, the Washington football skins, the Washington commanders. Is that what they're called now, the commanders? Well, I told you on March 25th when all of you said, oh, I think they're going to stick with the WFT. That's such a great name. I can't believe they're not the Redskins anymore, but if they're not going to be the Redskins, they might as well stick with WFT. I said, no chance, toilet pants. Guess what? They changed their name. We were right. What about the Deshaun Watson situation? We talked about that significantly. On September 7th of 2021, I said Deshaun Watson will not play a down during the 2021 football season, and he won't be suspended. Guess what? That's exactly what happened. They had him as a healthy scratch the entire year. Can you imagine? David Culley got fired after not being able to play Deshaun Watson. Roger Goodell got away with not suspending him, not doing anything with him. The Texans had to pay him, and he didn't play. Now, that's good work if you can get it, getting paid not to play, but it was a correct wait to see. Then on September 25th of 2021, there was a signing. Richard Sherman, remember that name? That successful player for the Seattle Supersonics? He signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was this huge signing. Uh, Sorry, yes, Coca. The, The Seattle Seahawks, obviously. Why the Seattle Supersonics in my head? That is very bizarre. I have no idea. I must have just been talking about Paul Westfall and Lonnie Shelton with somebody. Or downtown Freddie Brown or Jack Sigma. Anyway, Lenny Wilkins. I could go on. Richard Sherman signed with the Bucks, and I said, guess what? It's not going to work. He's not going to even play a playoff game with the Bucks, who at that time were favored to not just make the playoffs, but maybe even repeat as Super Bowl champions. Guess what? He didn't play a playoff game. Now, Coke is saying he was hurt, but... That doesn't matter. It was a wait to see. He did not play a playoff game with the Bucks. On December 16th of 2021, just a couple months ago, something happened in Canada. Remember that during COVID, they had 
totally stopped fans from coming to games. Then they allowed fans to come to games. Then Omicron happened, and they again reduced the capacity. And I said, the United States and many other buildings are going to follow that lead, and they're going to reduce capacity. I couldn't have been more wrong. Nobody reduced anything. I don't care, blue state, red state, purple state, pink state. Everyone said, we need the money and the tax revenue because we can't balance our budget. We are keeping full capacity. Wear a mask, get vaccinated, unless you're a home team player in New York. So that was a no. January 4th, 2022. I was positive i get this one right. Coca's making me take a no on that, and I'm not happy about it, Coca. That was the day. Who was the quarterback, Coca? There was uh, all sorts of people congregating around the tunnel. The tunnel collapsed. Jalen Hurts. Remember when the tunnel collapsed? The, the, not the tunnel. The, uh, the, the steel sort of... Um, the, the boundary, what are they called? The railings. Thank you, Coca. He is, we are dialed in on this random Friday. The railings came in, and I said, guess what? The NFL's got to do something about this. You cannot have people, and they're, they're, by the way, they're suing, as you recall. The stadium's falling apart. I think it was FedEx Field. And I said the NFL is going to send a memo that congregating near tunnels is no longer allowed. Coke is making me say no because he said if there had been a memo, it would have been leaked and we would have heard about it. So I'm going to take a no right now, but I'm going to tell you that if I'm running the NFL or running MLB and I see what happens at FedEx Field, the reason I made that a wait to see is I am 100% writing a memo. But it's a no. Three days later on January 7, 2022, what happened that day? Oh, I know exactly what happened. That was the day that the New York Jets were playing a team, maybe the Miami Dolphins, and the Jets had that fourth and two at midfield, and they did the quarterback sneak by accident at the end of the game, and you can't, and that quarterback sneak went for six inches, and then the turnover happened, lost the ball on downs, and that was the end of the game. And I said, God, the offensive coordinator is going to be fired. There is no possible way that there will not be the rolling of somebody's head. Because as you recall, the offensive coordinator took the heat. He said it was his fault, bad play call, bad communication. Then the coach of the Jets said, it's really my responsibility, which is what head coaches do. That's their job. But it turns out that Mike LaFleur did not get fired. Did not get fired because he's the younger brother of Matt LaFleur, the coach of the Packers? I don't care. He didn't get fired, and I'm blown away. Although, you know, why did I make that a wait to see, Coca? I was just thinking about what's the name of the, uh, was it Phil Nevins with the Yankees, who was the third base coach who waved in a player during a playoff series. The player was thrown out by 20 feet, and then Nevins did get fired, and he got fired in large part because of that. Although Nevins is a great, great guy who could be a manager one day. I, I would fire him. I'm taking the no, but that, that's just, that's absurd. And then just over a month ago, on January 20th, 2022, I told you that Bruce Arians' fine is going to get reduced. And did it happen? He didn't, it didn't get reduced? I thought that he, are you giving me a no on that, Coca? I can't remember what he was fined for. This is not good content. Oh, for hitting the player. Now we're back to good content. Do you remember when Bruce Arians hit a player? 
And uh, I, I said to you, it's ridiculous. And everyone on Twitter got so angry. And I said, give me a break. He tapped him on the helmet. And that's when there was a skirmish going on during the game. And everyone said, that's abuse. You can't have an employer hitting an employee that way. That's totally out of bounds. And I said, by the way, coaches are hitting players on the ass all the time. When you hit a football player on the helmet, that's we do that. Have you ever seen a guy hit a home run? Now, it's in celebration, but you hit the guy on the top of the helmet or they take the helmet off and then you celebrate and you bump into each other, you fist bump, you shoulder bump. Managers give bear hugs. Or when there's a fight going on, managers pull players off the pile so they don't get suspended. Basketball coaches hold back their players from leaving the bench during a fight. Physical contact happens. And what Bruce Arians did was right. I thought his fine would absolutely be reduced, and it hasn't. That's a no. On that day, I also said that the Raiders head coach interim would not get the full-time job. There was a lot of talk on January 20th of this year who the Raiders were going to hire. The Raiders, who had such a problem this year, so many off-the-field issues, they fired their coach because they had to remember the whole Gruden situation. And so they had the interim coach. Guess what? He didn't get the job. So I got that one right. There was no chance they were keeping him. So that's the update on Wait to Seize. We still do them every day. We had Wait to Seize, well, when we do regular shows, not mailbags. Should I do a Wait to See? I'll give you a Wait to See. Tomorrow is February 26th. Hey, thank you very much for hanging out for the mailbag. Keep those questions coming, would you? Get to Apple, rate and review Nothing Personal. These ratings matter. Follow on Spotify. Believe me, it still matters where we rank where we rank in ratings and reviews. If you could write a review, we'd like to get up to 5,000 reviews at minimum. Just go there and write a few sentences when you do a five-star. Hey, I like listening to Samson. Hey, five stars. I really don't like listening to Samson. Hey, five stars. Sometimes I like listening to Samson. Five stars. I wish it were Coca. Because for us, when you do that, it's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.